This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon. I'm here with Officer Craig Hanaumi. Officer Craig, uh, many will know you from uh, your phenomenal Instagram account where you uh, chronicle your adventures as a, as a police officer interacting with the community. And uh, just wanted to start off by saying that you are a real hero of mine, and I say that with all sincerity. The work that you do is absolutely incredible. Uh, as an officer and a, someone who works in the community, and then also as a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. So it's just an honor to meet you. Well, thank you very much, Jordan. I appreciate it. I, there's lots of great officers, a lot of my co incredible people. I look up to a lot of them, and I'm happy to fly the jiu-jitsu flag. Let's, I'll take that. Uh, officer Craig, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and how you became a police officer? I grew up in on Oahu, in Hawaii, a city named Aiea, which is fairly close to Pearl Harbor. Um, went to public school all the way, all the way through college, University of Hawaii and the Manoa campus. Graduated with my BA in psychology. And I have to say that I did take the six and a half year route to get my four year degree, but um, I finished. <laughs> and that's the main thing, right? You finish. And, that's right. Uh, I was in a marching band the whole time in college. Uh, music was another fun hobby of mine that I used to um, get some of the goals that I wanted to do. And after I graduated, you can't really do nothing with a BA in psych, right? Nothing that is actually connected to the degree unless you go back to school. And I didn't want to do that. So I worked in behavioral health. I got to be an aide for teens that have varying degrees of autism on the spectrum. And that was really good. I guess I wasn't really, it was work, right? But it, was, it was, ended up being good training for what I do now. That was in the school setting and in the group home setting. And I was a personal trainer for a little while. Mm -hmm. And none of those jobs made my parents too happy. You know, I mean, they were, they were satisfied working and employed, but like a typical um, family, which my mom's side has a lot of educated people in it, including her. And I have a sister who's a doctor. So it's kind of the bar on that academic side is set really high. And I think um, they were always waiting for me to get a job that was a little bit more in their eyes, stable mm -hmm. and I guess respectable. So when I told them I was going to go into our police academy back home, the Kekula Makai, I think they kind of, had a good, I guess, retirement too. They're both, uh, my mom worked as a teacher for almost 40 years. My dad was in the Department of Labor. So they both come from really strong union type of occupations. And um, I think they kind of left me alone after they found out I was going into law enforcement. I'm the only one in my family that's in police work. So that was good. I got to carve out my own niche and not get compared to anybody else, which would have kind of been unfair for me because everybody else in my family is kind of kind of rock star about uh, whatever their job was. So, yeah. Do no you have siblings? Yeah. My younger sister, she's a couple years younger. She's a pediatrician. And it's funny because she's two years younger. But by the time I got into middle school, so high school for sure, I was um, I was Sadie's brother. <laughs> somehow somehow she, she had the porch and carried it. And I'm like the older person, but um, not somehow, but she's just... She was like valedictorian, class president, uh, principal oboe player, 
best oval player in the state for her for high school. And uh, I mean, by the time, yeah, by the time she got into the sixth, seventh grade, I was like, man, I'm not going to be able to keep up with her academically at all. <laughs> um, so it's fantastic. So what, what brought you from Hawaii to uh, you're in Bellevue outside Seattle? Yeah, just east of Seattle, Washington. A um, couple of things. One, like many other people from the islands, the cost of living for in Hawaii is just it's too much. I mean, it's it's too much, especially for the amount you get paid for most jobs. It's not sustainable. Uh, unfortunately, I have to. I mean, that's why so much people leave. Uh, mm. Go up here, and then they decide to stay here. And um, I mean, you recognize right away that. The same type of work that you would be doing back home, you get paid for significantly more here. And, and when I say here, I mean the mainland. And uh, yeah. that's an unfortunate reality. That was one piece. And uh, my ex at the time also wanted to relocate. And I kind of say no, right? So I got to uh, move and and it worked out good. It worked out for the best. And um, I don't have any regrets about, about doing that. Yeah. Um... It's amazing how the, the universe has a way of putting us exactly where we're supposed to be. And, uh, and just, you know, then you, then everything kind of happens off of that. When, when did you start martial arts? I got exposed when I was a kid to martial arts at a young age in Hawaii. It's kind of hard to not think because of all the, the different people from all the countries in Asia, I think per capita probably has probably one of the most condensed group of martial artists probably in the country and and jiu-jitsu only got there i think in the probably what mid late 80s from helsin but um i mean everything else was has been there for a, a while and i i, I tried yeah. uh, kung fu and karate and i wanted to be a ninja like most boys. yeah <laughs> um so I got exposed, but I didn't really connect to any one of those. I mean, they're good exercise. And, and like I said, it's related to my ninja goals. It, it kind of met that. But um, <laughs> I got more into skateboarding uh, when I was just preteen. And and then I got into trombone. So those kind of things took over. Uh, mm -hmm. And probably about 12, 13 years ago, that that's how I got exposed to jujitsu. Could you ever imagine when you were younger that you'd be using skateboarding and music and jujitsu in the way you use it today? <laughs> No, <laughs> I, I, I always tell them because they, they were very supportive. I remember my mom taking, we had an 80, 80 something station wagon, Toyota station wagon, a white one, which we carpooled probably four to six of my friends back. And she took us to all the ditches. We didn't have parks in the 80s. Skateboard ditches, drainage ditches, basically, that were, just, you know, enter at your own risk. So it was like perfect. And um, she took us to a bunch of them. Uh, and yeah, I, I always thank them afterwards for, for doing that because now I, I get to use it as a way to connect. And I mean, that was, yeah. no, there's, for any kind of intent, it was just fun, you know, and she supported us doing stuff that were in, in, in their eyes positive and fun. And, and it's just, uh, when I look back in hindsight, I'm like, man, my, you know, my mom, uh, teacher, very respectable person in the community, and she's like driving us around to these storm drainage ditches uh, all over the island. <laughs> and so you, you grew up in the 80s. 
Was that, oh, so yeah. were you, uh, are you in your late thirties or, or how old are you? Early 40? I can't, I can't get a beat. I, I would say 37, 38. That's my guess. All right. If my coworker Raf was here, he'd, he'd tell you, uh, Asian don't raise him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he can say that because he's Asian. No, but, uh, yeah, we, I'm in my, I'm in my mid forties. Mid forties. Hanging wow. on, mid forties, hanging on for dear life, you know, pretty soon, <laughs> late forties. And um, I grew up from the, the skateboarding connection was uh, two things. was Back to the Future, one, yep. 1985. And then this kind of this group called the Bones Brigade, which was Tony Hawk, Steve Cavalier, Mike McGill, Tommy Guerrero, Lance Mountain. And um, they came out with these videos on Betamax and VHS called uh, Future Primitive. That was the first one. And then Search for Animal Chin. And that's an iconic movie. If you, it's on YouTube. You can look it up afterwards. I will. Unbelievable. Kind of politically incorrect, but I mean, skateboarding, right? So they don't care. But uh, Yeah, well, that's it. Skateboarding was totally counterculture when you started and right. grew up. And that fascinates me about uh, the way you've used it today. Well, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of funny when I think about it. But um, I just, it was... I just connected to it more than anything else as an individual activity. And I was I was not really good at sports. And uh, I find that extremely hard to believe that you're not good at sports. Let me let me share my screen for one second. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be able to see this because you're on your phone, but um, I pulled up one of my favorite YouTube videos of you working out. So, excuse me, one of your Instagram videos, not YouTube. And you wrote, one day my mind, my mind will tell my body to move and my body won't be able to. I don't know when that day will be, but it's not today. Seven three-minute rounds with one minute of rest in between. And you often put up videos like this uh, where you are just in phenomenal, phenomenal shape. It's hard to believe that you're in your mid-40s and just working out like a beast. But you're hyping me up too much, Jordan. I just... No, I'm not. I'm not. Thank you for being humble. You got this. You're, <laughs> There's lots listen, of people you're who are climbing ropes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like well, I'm light, so that's my <laughs> validation. I, I'm not heavy. I'm I'm 135, so I'm not moving a lot yeah. of weight when I do body weight stuff. And yep. I mean, if I was 235, that'd be impressive. But to me, it's like yeah, I'm 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 light. Even if my uniform is on, that's only 20 pounds more. So. It's not that significant to, I mean, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not that impressed by it, but um, like I said, he heavier people doing bodyweight stuff. That's, that's amazing. But um, light yeah. people was like, ah, you know, but I, I, well, I mean, fitness, fitness was not always a thing for me. I, I don't know. I was kind of chunky when I was a kid, but I think I got into it more uh, after high school. Uh, I was in the band room the whole time. So it didn't matter. Right. I, that's I, true. I didn't have to I, I was on the cross I tell people I was on the cross country team but they didn't have cuts so it didn't matter I was I was a guaranteed <laughs> and uh, I did JV basketball for a year I didn't make the varsity team but um it's just the same like martial arts my parents exposed me to a lot of a lot of different things they let me try stuff and I was clearly not a specialist in anything so I kind of got a lot of exposure to different different things and I think the neat thing is I'm using all, a lot of the different things to, to connect. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not even the jack of all trades. I'm, I'm not even, I'm just like 
fairly mediocre at a lot of stuff, but a lot of different things and a lot of different uh, pieces of people's lives that are not always connected. So I think that's a neat, it's kind of neat how that worked out like that. Yeah. It's funny. I was talking to my wife the other day and we were talking about how I was, I really wasn't a great athlete when I was growing up. I'm not a great athlete now by any means, although I trained jujitsu a lot. And when I was in high school around the time I turned 18, that's really when I started to grow into my body. But all the years before I was 18, I was always one of the worst athletes, slowest, not the most coordinated. And I, I was in a group of friends where they were the most phenomenal athletes. I have a, a one friend who's in the high school sports hall of fame for lacrosse and another friend who went to play division one lacrosse. And it's like all these incredible athletes. And I grew up in their shadow my whole life. But after college, I just, that was when it started for me. And most of them is when sport ended. And today, now we're out of college, 15, 18 years. They don't, they don't do any sports. Some of them are getting big. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I'm just starting to hit my peak. You know, I don't even yeah. think I've reached any of my potential yet. I, I'm, I'm a purple belt. I have four stripes. And I just think I'm getting better and better and better and faster and stronger. Uh, so it's just, it's interesting to know like what the capabilities are. And I want to train jujitsu for the rest of my life and I want to be active and running. And it's, it's hard to be a business person and, and also be incredibly active. But, uh, I think that that, that little juice. So I, I relate to you a little bit in that, in that sense. Uh, so when you came out of the band, what, when did you become the personal trainer? And I know you said that was a short stint, but I'm just trying to figure out when the fitness thing really came to for you. Well, I was always interested in it. I just never had any, I just felt like not validated by doing it because I would go into Got the it. gym, high school, we had, we had weight room, but then, you know, everybody else in there was like a varsity athlete. And here I am on the cross country team without the, the one, the one sport that doesn't have the cuts. In it. And I just, um, I don't know. I, I, I was, I always wanted to, to know how to train and lift weights, but I just felt embarrassed by doing it because I was so far behind everybody else. And I think that the break of high school graduation to college was a good break because, you know, all the people who I I looked at is like, man, that person is so much more, so much, so much stronger, so much more athletic. And then we all went our, our separate ways, and um, I got to kind of restart. And so from college, I started to take some courses. I was almost going to do exercise physiology, but the math pushed me away, you know, from that. All the statistics and the numbers is like, no, not gonna do that. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed the classes, the, the nutrition classes, the exercise physiology classes, learning about stuff like VO2 max, and it was fascinating to the body. You know, the body's capabilities are, are fascinating to me, and uh, I don't know. I even did like bodybuilding for like a little small period of time, and um, the twenty, uh, what ended up being uh, work at Twenty Four Hour Fitness as a trainer was just kind of. Uh, a connector to the interest so i was like well that that might that, that was kind of like a possible route of what i wanted to do for work but i mean it's more for myself like i was just kind of selfish about well i can learn about all these different exercise methodologies and and just get self you know selfish re selfish reasons to improve myself and i get to help people so that was a it's a double win and i just I didn't like it at the end because I was not in control of the 
income as much as I wanted to be. Because at, mm. at those kind of you pay, I mean, a significant portion of what you earn is taken by the company, which is reasonable because without the company, you wouldn't be working there. So, um, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I got to do a class on Olympic weightlifting, like right when that was becoming a thing before CrossFit was even a thing. And uh, that was really fascinating to me, the functional fitness. That was kind of a paradigm shift for me from just the traditional bodybuilding kind of workouts to workouts where you could actually transfer the the, the gains from the the gym to the playing field, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's, well, I, the reason why I'm asking is because uh, I'm fascinated about how you took your fitness and you brought it in, in with you to policing. Was it at the same time where you... At, when you became a police officer, were you had you already started jujitsu, or did the jujitsu come way after? When when did the transition happen, and did you bring the fitness with you into into the uniform? Yeah, the fitness piece was before, so I was lucky. Of course, that's a direct, uh, a positive benefit, right? Directly transferable. Um, and it was funny because I think people who knew me after high school. They say kind of the same thing as you. Like, wow, you're you all seem like you're in shape and fit, and that's completely not true. But um, that's all I had. I mean, I'm tiny, so I, I can't. I'm not. I'm not gonna get any taller. I'm not gonna get any. I mean, the, even the strength will plateau. Like I tell people, strength and fitness will plateau and eventually go down. But um, since I'm not gonna get any bigger, I guess taller, I might as well get as fit as I can be. And that was all I had. I didn't have anything else. I had, that was before jujitsu. And I only started getting into jujitsu probably my fourth year in after I left Hawaii. Uh, I Googled the uh, police and jujitsu on search engine and the Gracie Survival Tactics course came out. Hmm. And back when, you know, I guess we were able to put in for training out of state and po probably have a good chance of getting approved, I put in a request to go and I got approved. This was 2008, and that was my first. I actually had a jujitsu experience before we talked about on a different uh, podcast, which is a kind of a funny story. But my first yeah. actual, real, structured jujitsu was was the best case scenario because it was actually for specifically for police. Taught that by, was with uh, Henner and, and Hiron. Yeah, taught by taught by two of the best teachers that are out there, and um, it was probably the best case scenario. I mean, I don't know. I can't envision another introduction that would have been as good as that. For, yeah. For, Absolutely. I, I, love what, I love what they do and they put out. I had another police officer on, my, on this podcast. His name is Freddie Trillo. He's down in Miami and he's a long time. Uh, he's a black belt under Tom DeBlas, long time jujitsu guy. He told a story on this podcast how he came to jujitsu when he faced a near death experience on the job when a guy went for his gun and they were fighting in the middle of the street. And he said, I better learn how to defend myself. And that was how he came to jujitsu. Um, let, me, let me just pull up my screen one more time because you, you put up some of these great videos, which I think are so, so valuable for so many people to see, people and, uh, and officers alike. Can you see my screen? Yes. You, you do some of these, these great videos where you're training um, and using jujitsu, basic jujitsu techniques, fundamental jujitsu techniques against people who are much bigger than you, 
you have them go for your gun. Sometimes you have them with taser knives and you work on jujitsu techniques to save your life, but also not have to be lethal against them as well. Uh, it's beautiful. Well, thank you. And then kind of like the fitness stuff. I mean, initially it's for, it's for myself because once I started to get into training and saw the benefit, felt the benefits, I mean, it's not, it's not really, if, if anybody thinks it's the same to train with your gi or a rash guard and a belt that has a bunch of stuff on it and a vest and boots, it's very different. Um, it's not that different. So it's not like doing skateboarding and riding a unicycle or something, but it's not, it's not, there's definitely things you cannot do with all the gear on. And there's definitely things that you probably wouldn't want to do, even if you could do it with all the stuff on in a, in an outside setting. So I just did it for myself initially. And I think it ended up becoming something that was a way to showcase the art. And I mean, I'm just a regular old purple belt, so I'm not anybody to do that for as an ambassador. But um, I think it's, it's kind of neat how people can, because most, unfortunately, still most law enforcement still don't train. And I think it was a very easy way to showcase in very practical examples how it could benefit. And so that's was that your motivation? Goal. Was that your motivation originally when you started posting on social media? And like, how, how did that start? You know, do, do, was there, like, I, I'm interested how it caught kind of caught fire and, and perpetuated itself. I don't even remember. I think, I think I just, well, I have, I have a, a, a few coworkers who train. My good friend Larry was also from Hawaii. Uh, who lateral to our department as well. He's he's been a long time jujitsu guy, and, and we're really lucky to have him in our department. But I think I was rolling with him in, in uniform, and somebody recorded, and I, I posted that, and that was a very positive response about it. And, um, I think just so, like I said, I just well, I'm gonna just keep doing it until part of it at some point. But I think um, just like. I mean, the skateboard is a little bit different too. Uh, it's, I think that was initially what drew people to uh, my little platform there. But the jujitsu stuff was kind of obviously more practical, more directly transferable to work because yeah. of the because of the self defense piece. I don't know. It gets a lot of good feedback. I tell. I mean, people for multiple. It's, it's multiple wins. Henry likes to call it uh, the ideal scenario is triple win. So win for you, win for the other person, win for a third variable. It's different situations. But um, yeah, it showcases the art in a, in a practical way. It, I mean, jujitsu is that's an outreach piece. So we do self defense classes, connect with people in the community we wouldn't otherwise meet. Uh, what else? Exercise. I mean, any any age range, right? There's no person who does not want to know how to protect themselves. And I mean, I just use that as a way to connect. So old people, young people, doesn't matter. It's just yeah. a beautiful thing that I get to. I have the the, the luxury of being in a position to to I guess show, share. Yeah, when you when you put those videos up in your uniform and you got the bag on the ground and you're doing the drills around it on your knees and you're just 
you're dancing around that bag in your uniform. I think it sends such a beautiful message out to the whole community and just anybody who catches it that, uh, you know, here's a police officer who's taking his fitness seriously, self-defense seriously, being an active and just like putting it out there. Uh, in 2017, I started uh, teaching the beginner class at, at my dojo. And a number of my students were white belt first rookie, rookie police officers. And that was some of the most rewarding experiences that I had because I was teaching them fundamental, fundamental, fundamental first day jujitsu. And after a couple months working together, just that fundamental jujitsu is enough to potentially save their life. And, uh, and seeing your techniques that you put up, especially the ones that you have such a good eye for of what's needed. And of course you're in the field, but I watched this video recently. It was heartbreaking. I don't know. I wonder if you saw it. It was two officers in New York city on a subway platform trying to apprehend a guy. And he was already in can handcuffs already on his stomach. And he was able to kick one of the female officers into the train trestle. Did you catch this? I saw that one. Yeah. That was really scary. What to uh, see. It was scary and heartbreaking. And then recently when I was preparing for this podcast with you, I came across a video of you and Henner and Huron teaching a two on one tactics of how to control. And I said, that was the exact situation. You know, if this officer would have been had that experience, she walked away with her life. I mean, a subway in New York city comes every few minutes. It could have been a disaster. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that's that's the two on one officer. Uh, <laughs> Uh, two-on-one officer technique, uh, multiple officer team tactic. That's, yeah. that's, that I feel like, I mean, that's more of the stuff that's in the GST course and not, I don't know if it, there's jujitsu principles in it. It's a little bit different, right? Because you're not grappling with more than one person at the same time, but that's a clearer example of how it does deviate from just typical jujitsu because you're not going to be rolling with one other person trying to control a third person in jiu-jitsu, yeah. which you probably would still be able to do better than somebody who doesn't train at all or people who don't train. But um, I think that's the, that's the good thing that they do. They, they're not just teaching sweeps or submissions or it's, it's actually things that are directly applicable to what we experience. And I think, I think that's a, that's, I think that should be recognized because it's hard. It's. I think it's the challenge is it's hard to do that without the lens of uh, from our perspective, and I think it's yeah. more impressive when somebody can do that who is not in law enforcement like those guys. I mean, they've been doing it for so long too, so they have that advantage. But it's not yeah. easy. Because how are you going to understand? I mean, that's. I think that's the, the the neat thing about people who train and are in our field. They have they have experience and examples that are directly relatable to what we do and not to invalidate anybody else because there's still valuable lessons from any person who trains, but the people who understand that when you have a vest and belt, you can't, you can't do a uh, torso flexion really good or at all. Sometimes it's very limited. Like maybe 90 degrees is the max and even just boots. I tell people all the time and I post on the, the watermarks on all the videos, you know, that my shoes were clean before I stepped on the mats. Cause that's the only thing jujitsu people see. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I had to do that because every single time I shared something, there'd always be a person that and they'll still say shoes on the mat. And it's like, like an inside joke now for, for, for people who, who don't understand. They're like, why are you posting about cleaning your shoes? It's like, well, it's a jujitsu thing. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> if you train, that's the first thing you would 
uh, see when you watch a video, right? So yeah. I put that in the watermark, and it's, like I said, it's kind of become like an inside joke now. Somebody said I should make a T-shirt of that. But, yeah, um, you should. I would love it. <laughs> it the, the the tread on the boot, especially our boots, because they're, they're the treads are fairly deep. It, it gets caught on everything: loose clothing, yeah. t-shirts, jacket, um, and of course, you can't flex and extend your your ankle joint, which doesn't mm -hmm. really make that difference. But it's not as, I mean, getting your foot stuck, uh, unstuck from stuff is is kind of. I didn't. I was surprised. I was like, oh man, this is a lot more knowing to have uh things that have yeah. friction on my feet <laughs> do you need all of the equipment that you carry in your patrol belt do you feel like it could be a little bit lighter a little bit more tactical um you know is it a little bit more jujitsu friendly and well that's a good question i think every person has a different setup for their stuff uh and then they include like external vests that's a, a new hype fairly recent hype over the past 10, 15 years where the vest is on the outside and all the gears on the torso. And if people don't know or understand, because they say, oh, it looks so military. And I mean, I guess I, I, I can see that part, you know, compared to the officer uh, appearance of like how I wear my stuff. But the main reason besides, uh, I guess, I don't know if some people think it looks cooler or not, but uh, it's actually much, much more, it's easier on your back. Mm. Uh, way distribute the load like that over your upper body than on your waist. I mean, you know, 20 pounds is not that much, but if you add it up for 10 hours and then times that by four and then times that by 12, it, it's, that's, how, that's how come there's um, degenerative you know, situations in this and everything. And the load bearing weight on your body is just not distributed well when it's on your waist. So I'm lucky, like I don't have back problems yet. Uh, so I just keep it like that. And I'm, I'm so used to it that it would be weird to switch it. But um, a lot of people now coming out of the academy, they just go straight to the vest because, I mean, there's no debate that it's it's easier on your body to have the weight distributed like that. Um, it does create other issues when the all the stuff is in the front, you know, as far as like flexibility and other situations. But um, my setup, I, keep, I try to keep everything uh, clear on my back. I don't have nothing behind me as much yeah. as I can. And, the reason why is because if I end up on my back, which is people don't, I guess that's another side benefit of doing the training in uniform. I get to feel all the things that would happen in an environment where it doesn't matter and I can learn from it. And so on the mat, on the nice soft two inch dolomer or zebra mats, it's still, it's still sore uh, to have handcuffs back there or, uh, you know, people have sometimes the uh, flashlights yeah. right in the middle of their back. If you, if you did a perfect backfall with mats, with a flashlight back there, it would hurt you. Yeah. Uh, and that's not talking about blacktop or concrete or, or anything. So if it was that surface, man, you, I mean, I don't even yeah. want to feel that one one time. So. Yeah. Well, let me let me just. This is you know I, why I brought it up, and you know we were having this conversation about this officer right here, and you know this is no no knock on the officer at all, but she was kicked and just got kicked right into the subway station over here while trying to uh, apprehend this criminal. And then I'll share my screen again. And this was a, a, a great piece of content that you put out with, uh, with the Gracie brothers. And it's the exact moment where you are. Full compliance, now we roll over. Great, lace them up. You do, this is exactly the position that they were in. Let's 
And when she went to lace him up, the guy was able to kick her. You tie, you tie up his legs, and then you do something amazing here. You reach up and grab his pants. And it was at this moment right here where you lock up his legs, and you go and you reach and you grab his pants that I said, and this, this video with the woman was from a few weeks ago, maybe a week or two ago. Um, and then I, and then I came across your video of the exact technique that she was encountering. And I said, if she would have just known this to lace his legs and grab his pants, she would have been able to control this guy. And she's lucky that she walked away with her life going, getting kicked onto the train tracks like that. Yeah. And controlling the legs like that is not an intuitive thing, right? I mean, I think people will think, well, independently control one at a time or just put body weight with your arms down on both of them and your shins on the other one. And I mean, you know, we, we validate all the stuff that we, we do. I mean, we, tr we, tra we train and see what, what works and what doesn't. And uh, in the moment, you're not going to just magically think of something. It's yeah. very unlikely that, that will happen. So yeah. Um, yeah, we're lucky to have uh, those training pieces in place. And um, that one right there, that exact situation, I don't know if this should be said because it's kind of semi-embarrassing to, to listen to, but I actually got to do that same leg position on a guy who was uh, having like a psychotic break. He, he had some kind of substance that he ingested overnight and I mean, he was out of his mind, like completely. When you when he spoke, he said words, but it was not coherent at all. And he was, he was actually attacking people and he was naked and uh, so very dangerous for everybody. The, the people at the, the place where he was at and, and even himself and us because he, he was not there. There was, you know, he was awake, but nobody was, was home upstairs. And, and I, I, got, I got to be the leg person in that situation. And, you know, people, all, my, my coworkers gave me grief about that one, but like, I wouldn't want it to be anybody else because yeah. I feel like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the jujitsu person. Put me in the situations where it's needed. And like, that's what, you know, deploy me in that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'll be the leg person for the naked person and, and you can laugh yep. at it, but I wouldn't want anybody else to do it. I mean, yeah. cause I don't feel like it would have been as, as comfortable for them, you know, or anybody yeah. else who does train. And so I don't know, it, that, that one worked out great. You know, he didn't get any injuries from, from the arrest and, and being able to control somebody is just without hurting them is, um, I mean, that's the main benefit of, of what we do. I mean, that's of the jujitsu. That's, that's what it's for. Are you uh, often in the field having to grapple with people, control people, and use your jujitsu? Is it a weekly basis? No, it's very, it's it's not, it's small, like super small okay. percentage. Thank I God. don't know what, but it's not big. Um, I mean, I got to use it at work for sure. Um, unfortunately, due to other circumstances out of our control, we even had stuff taken away from us, like neck restraints. But when our department had it. I, I, I deployed it twice or three, actually three mm -hmm. times. And it worked exactly like how it was in training. And yeah. if, if there was not that option, because I mean, every time I did it, I mean, everybody's bigger than me. I mean, it's not easy to be bigger than me. I'm 135, 5'4". So uh, a middle school person could be bigger than me. But um, yeah, the, well, I train with a number. I'm a big guy. I'm, I'm 6'2", 215. And I train with a, with a lot of smaller guys. And, and one of my professors... 
uh, Professor Kyle, shout out Professor Kyle. He's around your size, maybe a, a little a drop bigger, and he just has, I, I don't think I've ever beaten him. <laughs> he gave a black belt, and he has put a whooping on me for many, many, many years. So jujitsu works. But, you know, I was asking because this book that I'm writing, Business Jiu-Jitsu, about the principles that share between business and jujitsu and life, I'm not trying to beat up this officer or really talk about the technical aspect of you. That's well celebrated, and you, you've talked to the, the Gracie brothers about that. I'm very, really interested about the principles, you know, the principle of using this in your work and, and, and how it's affected the community, you know. It's you've gone on this whole journey of learning jujitsu and using jujitsu and putting it out there on your platform. Are these principles? I know it's being well received by the people like me who are watching from the outside in jujitsu. What about the people in the communities? Like, how do you feel like you're, are you getting to them? Like, I know you've changed lives and you've gotten people, young people interested in jujitsu and through the skating. Uh, I have two questions for you. Are you, how are you penetrating in? And two, is the, I guess for uh, the, your organization or your boss, do they love this and appreciate this and like want you to do it with other people? Well, I mean, I, I hope it's, pen, I hope it's thinking for people in our community. I mean, ideally I think you would have to ask them, but um, I, I mean, the actual physical skill of jujitsu is used, like I said, in training for us. It's an outreach for us. I get to use it as a way to connect with people that I wouldn't otherwise be able to connect with. The well, probably one of the best usage of it that I've ever had or an experience wasn't even in a technique in a situation. It was being able to teach. I got to add the the honor of being able to teach at a domestic violence shelter, and. I mean, just, just the idea of the, like, you know, our, our work, we see people who are survivors of domestic violence all, all the time and being able to be still in our role as a person to not just take a report or hold somebody else accountable for that crime, but to share some information that could help them, I guess, cope with that situation or have some kind of res resolution because like, you know, there's there's something to be said about being able to compartmentalize trauma and um, move on. But there's there's definitely a benefit to a lot of people to be able to, I don't want to say relive the situation, but be able to envision it and see a different outcome from simple principles and, and techniques that come from the art and I mean, almost every, I, it was, I had to remind myself that every single person in the, in the class was a survivor of some kind of physical assault. So yeah. as funny as it is to, you know, amongst friends and people to talk about like strangling somebody, choking somebody. I mean, you can't do that in those kind of populations because they actually got strangled and killed for real by someone right. else who hurt them or punched and, um, it's just, it's, just, it's just a neat thing to be in a position like how I'm in, in law enforcement, to be able to give back like that. That was, that was probably, up to this point, my favorite um, way to use the art. I'm just interested to know if your department or organization, if they either trained you to do some of this, encouraged you to do it, and if they recognize what you're doing and they want you to teach other officers how to do this. 
Well, I think they appreciate it because they keep letting me do it. So <laughs> I, by default, I, I think by inaction of them to make me stop, I think they appreciate it. And I, I, I'm one of our department's um, defensive tactics instructors. So we get to, I get to be in a position where I get to help and teach coworkers. And of course, use that time to better myself. As so it's a win-win. And then I get to also use that time to further uh, my education in the art too, by going to stuff like in Torrance with the brothers, or even now with um, Nathan Orchard, 10th Planet Black Belt, world-class jiu-jitsu competitor, right, right down right. the road here. It's un unbelievable. And like uh, so many wins for so many different reasons. And I'll just keep, I'll just keep doing it until I, until somebody tells me don't do it or <laughs> can't do it anymore. Or I don't know. Just, it's a, I'm just really blessed to be in this position where I get to be, uh, a, I don't know. I don't want to say ambassador, but an example of what Jiu-Jitsu uh, can do for our, our work besides the physical piece. Because I think that piece, I mean, if you don't understand that, then yeah. you're, in, you're in denial. But uh, the other pieces too, just outreach, connection, and... Um, fitness, I guess, everything. You know, did you uh, hear Andrew Yang on the Joe Rogan podcast talking about how every police officer should be a purple belt? I, I've, heard, I've heard that uh, statement before. And yeah, I, I mean, that'd be, that'd be great. I mean, why, why stop it for make every police officer black? Well, at least, at least I think he said, but I just, you know, I, as an ambassador, I just, it's, it, it is, it is really special to see what you're doing. And I'm really grateful for the content that you put out there. Um, you know, it could be frightening or, you know, some people might be scared. So, I mean, like a young kid coming up, they're going to grow up with just putting all the content out and being on TikTok and being on Instagram. But that could have missed you as from your generation just because, you know, by virtue of not growing up with it. And so the fact that you caught on to it and did it and got a great and positive response and continue to do it, I think inspires a lot of people. I appreciate it. And um, I think to, to add to the st statement about the, Every officer should be a purple belt. I mean, I, I agree. I think the only side note is that if that was the if that was the criteria, I wouldn't even be able to be in the department. Mm. Not even after. So, I think that's a good goal to make you know, every officer at some point proficient or competent enough to be of that. Discipline. But if you go make that the prerequisite, no. But I mean, not prerequisite. I think earning, like working towards it. Like all yeah. of us, you know, working towards it. We all get there at a different time frame. I've been practicing jujitsu. This is my 12th year and I'm a four stripe purple belt and I keep working at it. And I just wasn't a gifted athlete and I have a career and I run multiple companies. So I'm getting there at my own time, but I'm just not stopping. I think that's the key, key part. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Officer Craig, it has been such a pleasure getting to know you and speaking with you. And again, I, you're a very humble person, but the work that you're doing means a lot to me personally. And I know it means a lot to, to a lot of people out there. So thank you for everything that you do. And my wish and hope for you is that as many officers as possible and people who are of service can, uh, can use you as an inspiration too for what you do in the communities and also what you do for martial arts. Thank you so much, Jordan. I hope to train with you one day. And Me too. I, don't, I can't probably teach you any jujitsu stuff, but I can teach you how to skate maybe or something. Or play trombone. <laughs> I don't know. Station, Just, tour and stay, tra station tour and training session on me when you, uh, if you come through Bellevue. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Officer Craig.
Okay, thank you. Yep, have a great day.